Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo Del Rey Church of Chula Vista, California. We invite you to open up your Bibles as we join Pastor Derek Olson for today's message. Good morning. Merry Christmas. Yes. How are we doing? We good? We ready? We ready? Because I'm ready. I've been ready. We're on week three of our series called Adopted. Um, dear to my heart, I'm fired up. So see if you can keep up. <laughs> All right. The story, familiar to many of you, starts out innocently enough. Right? In Luke chapter 2, Caesar Augustus issues a decree wanting all the people at that time, 2,000 years ago, to register in their hometown. And so Joseph and Mary journey to Bethlehem. And uh, when they get there, there's no guest room in the whole place. Bethlehem's got no place for them. So when it comes time for Mary to give birth, they lay the baby in a manger. Uh, In with the animals is the best place they could stay. And then nearby, on the where the shepherds are keeping watch over the sheep, nearby an angel appears. And those, those words that may be familiar to you. For unto you, born this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. You heard some of this before? <laughs> Here's the problem. It's so familiar. Don't check out. All right? We can, let's see what God has in store for us today. Another familiar part of the story is over in Matthew chapter 2, where the magi, or we call them the wise men, are now seeking to find Jesus. They've seen the star. They are uh, coming to, in, to investigate, and the, the text tells us coming to worship. And so the wise men come to Herod, the king, and, the, and they say to him, we're looking for the king of the Jews. And when they, when they say those words, and when they indicate that they're looking for this, this promised king, this coming, arriving king, Herod's power is threatened. Herod's selfish desires of power and authority are threatened by word of this, of this king of the Jews. And so we see, um, so, so it's at this point where our familiar, tender Christmas story with the baby swaddled in a manger in cloths, it's at this point that our familiar and tender Christmas stories swerves and takes a brutal turn. The wise men, the worship, the magi do find Jesus and worship him, but they don't come back to Herod to give away Jesus' location the way Herod wanted. Herod wanted to know where this guy was, and the magi don't come back to him. And, and so in Matthew, it tells us that Herod then became furious and made plans to have every boy under the age of two in Bethlehem killed. At this point, some of you are going, I thought we started this with Merry Christmas. Some of you are going, Derek, can we go back to the nice parts of the Christmas story? But I want to, we got to go here just for a few minutes because I want us to see something this morning. Uh, I want us to consider something. And this is definitely a hard to hear story. The fact that 10 or 20 or 30 baby boys in Bethlehem were murdered in an effort to to, to kill Jesus. And that's tough, but we need to acknowledge this, that Satan has a long history of venomous rage against Jesus 
that he often directs toward or takes out on children. Satan has a long history of rage against Jesus that he takes out on children. Now, why would that be? Well, we can go back to the beginning of the story, back to Genesis chapter 3, back to the beginning of God's story given to you in the Bible. And as early as Genesis chapter 3, Satan knows that humans, that humankind will be saved, will be rescued by a woman giving birth. So all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, Satan knows that a baby being born is going to bring salvation and that same baby will confirm and, and, uh, and bring about Satan's ultimate defeat and vanquishment. So Satan doesn't like that idea. So not only do we have this story right here in the middle of our Christmas story about Herod and killing the baby boys in Bethlehem, but thousands of years earlier, we could read this in our Bibles in Exodus chapter 1, we have another story where God had promised that his people would grow in number and in strength. And sure enough, because God said it, it was happening. God's people were multiplying as they were, as they were told to. They were becoming a strong people. And so much the fact that doesn't this sound familiar? The king at the time, the pharaoh, his power and authority was threatened. It says in Exodus 1 that fearing that God's people would become too numerous and too powerful, Pharaoh then began to try to keep them under control and to keep God's people down. He first tried oppression and slavery. And when that didn't seem to work because, uh, because of God being with them, he resorted to having every Hebrew baby boy murdered by being thrown into the Nile. Author Russell Moore puts it this way, when it's Jesus versus self, babies are always in the crossfire. When it's Jesus versus self, think of Pharaoh's selfishness and his desire for power, Herod's being threatened. When it's Jesus versus self, babies are always caught in the crossfire, and it's always been that way. Pharaoh, Herod, and today. Who who in our culture today might this quote apply to? Perhaps the abortion culture that's facilitated by Planned Parenthood and the like. When it's Jesus versus self, babies are always caught in the crossfire. Our Christmas story went, and it's tough. And I just want to say, I just quoted Russell Moore, so I want to just show you this book really quick. As I have been studying God's Word in recent weeks to get ready for this series, and of course, this topic of our vertical adoption, that God adopts us as His children, is so important for us to understand. It's dear to my heart as our family goes through a horizontal adoption process. But as I studied God's Word, there was uh, a a few books that I also read that were helpful, but this one in particular was helpful. Russell Moore is a dean and a professor and an author. And uh, this book, this little book actually is just a a revised chapter of a larger book he did. But I just wanted to point that out because I want to give credit. A lot of the ideas that you're hearing this morning are thanks to Russell Moore. And it's been so rich for me to study this topic of adoption. And so uh, including that he passed along this idea, this reminder actually, that Satan has a long history of venomous rage against Jesus that he directs toward children. 
But, let's go to that next slide. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Merry Christmas, Paseo. God sent forth his son, born of a woman. There's the woman giving birth that Satan is rightly worried about. Born of a woman, God sent forth his son. So we start the morning having to wrestle with and and consider some of the darkness in our world and the evil and Satan's murderous plots. But Christmas, here we are December 20th, but Christmas time is the best time to remember and be reminded that God sent forth his son. That Jesus is light into darkness. The light of the world, our living hope that God sent forth his son. And so when we think about Christmas time and we think about God sending forth his son, when we think about Christmas time and the amazing truth that God came to be with us, we think about things like this. We're, we're used to at Christmas time reading and studying and hearing things like, okay, Jesus was born of a virgin. Whoa. Conceived in the womb of a virgin by the Holy Spirit. This is significant theological truth, right? Really important for us to know that Jesus was born of a virgin conceived by the Holy Spirit because that shows us that Jesus is God's son, that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Jesus, the God-man, the son of God. And so at Christmas time, we do. We think of that. We think Jesus, born as a human baby, and yet we think, we rightly think of Heavenly Father as his dad. This is critically important for us to understand and absolutely true. And as we consider that Jesus, God himself, came to live among us and that his dad is our Heavenly Father, do we inadvertently look past the story of Joseph? Do we even give a second thought to Joseph's role? What's the significance of Joseph in the, in the Christmas story and in the life of Jesus? I don't know about you, but I'm 40 years old, and until very recently, I don't know that I gave Joseph a lot of credit. Um, the, the, the author I was telling you about, he puts it this way. He was talking about, you know, when it comes to our Christmas pageants, and we put on these shows and plays and sing songs, and we read the stories about Christmas, Russell Moore puts it this way, that Joseph's only role, it seems is as an usher to get Mary to the stable, right? Here, Mary, here, let's look. Here, and it's, it's sort of like that's all we've got, this picture of Joseph is to get Mary to the stable so we can get to the baby. And so we can think of God as father. And that's awesome and true and right. But what about Joseph? Grab your Bible, if you would. Hope you got your Bible with you open to Matthew chapter 1, the first book of your New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John are at the beginning of your New Testament. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. If you want to use the Bible, it's underneath the seat there. You can see the page number on the screen, page 966. And as you turn there, let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you that uh, that we get to worship and praise and be thankful to a God who has come near to us at Christmas time, thinking that you came near in your son. We give you thanks. And God, we thank you that you are a father in heaven who not only comes near, but who speaks to us and gives us opportunity to speak to you. 
So God, this morning, would you speak through your word? And by your spirit, would you open our hearts and our minds to see and hear and understand what you have for us? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to start reading at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. We, at first, this strikes us a little odd because um, their betrothal, their engagement was different than the engagement of our time. Their, their betrothal held legal more, was more legally binding than what we would call engagement today. And so when Mary's situation with baby arises before sex between Mary and Joseph, and Joseph thinks what he might have thought, he, out of respect for her, doesn't want to disgrace her, so he considers quiet divorce. Verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, that the virgin would conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Here's the part I want us to see, verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and she gave him, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is amazing to think about the Christmas story, to think about what we just read. I, I love this, that in God's big picture plan, before the foundations of the world, when God went about determining, went about determining how he was going to rescue us, when he came up with the idea that, that his son would come and live among us, he chose for Jesus human parents. That part of God coming to live among us would include having a man and a woman for parents, including Joseph, who stepped up and chose to be a father when he didn't have to. He heard from the Lord. He accepted his responsibility. He obeyed. And we just read in God's word in verse 24 that he took Mary home as wife. And you know what else is in there? When Joseph obeyed the Lord and took Mary home as his wife, Mary's pregnant. Guess who else went home with Joseph? Joseph took home Mary to be his wife and Jesus to take care of. Joseph was very much Jesus' legal adoptive father. And I, I don't think I, I considered this. Now, we have to be, when we talk to people about their kids, we have to be really careful about using the word real, right? Because when we talk about real parents or real kids, while Joseph was not Jesus' biological father, we know God the Father. 
Jesus, son of God, father in heaven, his God. While Joseph was not Jesus' biological father, Joseph was definitely a real father. Why? Because the first person that Jesus would have said Abba, Daddy to, would have been Joseph. And as we read our Bibles, we know that Jesus is sinless without sin, that he perfectly obeyed the law, and the law would have included to honor his mother and father. And guess who he would have directed that toward? Mary and Joseph. And he perfectly fulfilled the law to honor his parents. And the people in Jesus' hometown, when they refer to Jesus, they refer to him as the carpenter's son. Joseph's son. And I want you to do this. In the next few days, when you're celebrating Christmas in your family and you're reading the the scriptures and read the Christmas story, I hope you do this. Read Luke 2 soon. And read Luke 2 with an eye for Joseph and an eye for family and an eye for adoption. And you know what you're going to find? The Holy Spirit of God wrote our Bibles. Our Bibles are inspired by God himself. And you know how the Holy Spirit wants us to, to refer to Mary and Joseph? It says in Luke 2 multiple times, his parents, his mother and father. Joseph was very much his legal adoptive father. And here's even the, better, the best thing. Here's even more important than those examples. Why is Joseph's and Jesus' relationship important? Because Jesus' identity as the Messiah the promised rescuer of the Old Testament. The Old Testament tells of a coming rescuer, the promised Messiah, and that, the promise, and that this promised rescuer is to come in the line of David. He is to be a descendant of David. And Jesus' identity, Jesus' human identity that fulfills this and makes him the promised Messiah is the fact that he is in the line of David. And you know how Joseph got in the line of David? Through adoption. What did I say? Did I say it wrong? How, how Jesus got in the line of David. He's a descendant of David because he was adopted by Joseph. The genealogy in your Bible puts it through Joseph. God sent forth his son. And he provided for us in sending Jesus the way for salvation. And when God sent forth his son, he also called Joseph to step into the gap into, into the midst of Satan's war on children. He called Joseph to be a father, a protector, and a provider for Jesus and his family. Last week, my friend John was up here teaching us. And John, one of the things John brought up last week was the problem of evil. That when we look around ourselves in our world and all the terrible things that happen and that we, are for, we can't help sometimes but, but ask God, why? Why do these things happen? And sometimes we go a step further and we say, what are you going to do about it, God? And John challenged us because John, John Dickinson last week reminded us that part of God's answer, when we ask him, what are you going to do about this? Part of God's response to the, 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 the struggles and the evil and the darkness of our world is God says, I created you in my image. Go and make a difference. And so part of the way God responds to the problem of evil and the difficulty and the darkness in our lives is he's created us in his image that we might step up. And so this morning, 
that's what the question I'm putting before us is, is do we need to, do we, you and I, do we as, a, as the church, as the body of Christ, do we need to step into the war against children? And I say, we must. To flip over a few pages to the right, if you're still in Matthew, hopefully, now we're going to go over to Matthew chapter 25. Page 994, if you're using that Bible near you, page 994, Matthew chapter 25, and I'm going to read starting at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, this is saying when Jesus returns someday in the future, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king, Jesus, will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Why? For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. This next one sounds like adoption to me. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And and elsewhere in our Bible, this will be on the screen, James, the brother of Jesus, gets even more specific about how, who we are to care for when we care for the least of these. James writes that religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. These three Sundays, our series Adopted, it is marvelous to consider our vertical adoption. That each of you that are in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, that God adopts us, this vertical adoption. God adopts us, that we become his children, we become part of the family of God. And as we just read in Matthew 25 and on the screen on James, one critically important ramification of our vertical adoption, one critically important result <clears throat> of our vertical adoption should be for us to obey our biblical calling, this command for God's people, you and me individually and us collectively. One result of our vertical adoption for it should be for us to obey God's command to care for and love the least of these, including our vertical adoption should lead us into horizontal adoption and the care for the orphan. Because we have a father who is a father to the fatherless. And Joseph is an image for us of a father to the fatherless. And we as followers of Jesus then are to be fathers to the fatherless. And I want to do something fun here for a second. I want you to see how horizontal adoption is all around you right now. Right where you sit, here at Paseo Del Rey Church, in this family, I want you to see how 
horizontal adoption is all around you. So I don't want to put you in a difficult spot. I'm not, you don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to, if that would put you in a difficult position. But in a, in a minute, not right now, I'm going to have you raise your hand if your life has been touched in some way by adoption. It could be that you are adopted. It could be that you're an adoptive parent. It could be that you have an adopted sibling. Uh, It could be that you are raising children other than your children. You're raising your grandchildren or niece or nephew, etc. It could be that you used to be in foster care. It could be that you are a foster parent. I probably have a bunch of examples I'm missing, but if if you would be so bold, if your life has been touched by adoption in one of those ways, would you raise your hand? Look at it. It's all around us, Paseo del Rey. This is something that God is already doing in our midst. I love it. And if I had them keep their hands up, go ahead. And then I ask one more question. How many of you know someone who's adopted? It's all around you. You teachers have foster children and adopted children in your classrooms. You know, this is something that that we all have in our lives. This is something that is normal. This is something that God has done for us. And I want us to see how God is at work in Paseo. And I can't wait to see what else he has in store for us in the care for the least of these, including adoption. But but when we hear statistics and we think of the big picture of foster care and adoption, uh, the statistics can be a bit overwhelming and make the need feel pretty burdensome. Let me share just a couple of those with you. In the United States now, there are over 400,000 children in foster care. Of those 400,000, over 100,000 of those children that are in foster care are, are waiting today for a forever family. They're ready to be adopted. They will never go back to their family of origin, and they need a family. Over 100,000 in the United States. And then this next number should hit us close to home because it relates to these gifts that we've been bringing to the, to the people that live at Trolley Trestle because every year in the United States, over 30,000 kids age out of the foster care system. It means they get to 18 years old and they still have never been adopted and they graduate out of foster care without a family to call their own. And so you, because God first loved us, you are sharing God's love to those that live at Trolley Trestle, these 150 gifts are going to, to, um, to people who have aged out of the foster care system and their children. I love it. Good job. Thanks for being a conduit of God's love. And the statistics I just mentioned, though, don't even touch the millions of orphans around the globe. And so when we hear these kind of numbers, we go, hopefully, when we hear these kind of numbers... We wrestle a bit with our, our part. And it can feel overwhelming. And we, and we might think, man, can I even make a difference? Is there anything that I can possibly do? And um, so let's talk about that for a few minutes. You know, what difference can you make in this issue? Uh, in, in the last, today and two weeks ago, you've heard a lot from me. And just as a reminder, my story is, here's my family. I have four kids. We're in the process of adopting our younger two. We hope to have the adoption finalized in the next couple of months. Our youngest two uh, came to us at age eight and five. And they're now, I shouldn't have looked over there. 
Shouldn't look up there either. They're, <clears throat> they're, they're nine and six now. And of course, part of the story that God used to bring us to adopt was Amy's family growing up. This is my wife, Amy. She's second on the right. It's her parents and her, and her siblings. And you can see in the middle there, Steve. They adopted Steve at 19 years old. Legally an adult, didn't need adoption. But we can't imagine our family without Steve. The great thing about these pictures and the ones in the years before this was that people would look at Amy's family and look at the blonde and go, is she adopted? Because <laughs> my sister-in-law, Lisa, sticks out almost more amongst the brunettes than, than our Colombian brother-in-law. Steve, so you've heard enough a lot from me and, and John last week. Both of us are adoptive fathers, and we've given you some of our perspective. But I want Fred Dominguez to come on up here with me now and, uh, because I want to get a, us to get a little a different perspective, a cool different perspective on adoption. What's up, brother? What's going on? How are you doing? If you don't know, Fred is a great part of our staff team. He ministers to our teenagers and uh, with Carlo and, and some of our great volunteers. Fred's a friend. Fred's recently married to Kate, and so uh, wanted, and so yes, good stuff. There we go. Yeah. Yay, Kate! So we, so I wanted to have Fred up because um, Fred brings a different perspective, as I said. And hey, tomorrow's your birthday. Yes, Happy birthday! Is. Thank you. Yep. So twenty-four years ago tomorrow. Yeah. What's the story? What was twenty-four years ago tomorrow. The story is my biological mom was. Uh, Driving to the hospital, uh, she was going to a hospital in Mexico, uh, and my my real mom, Your mom. Uh, caught me. She's a medical doctor in Mexico, and so they caught me. Uh, she caught me, and from then on, and not only delivered you, but but knew that they were going to yes, adopt you. Yes, yes. Right? So <laughs> this was not yeah. sprung on her. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But, I mean, they, they came to deliver you <laughs> yeah. because... That was the plan, yeah. yeah. My, uh, my parents, um, my mom and my dad, uh, through different circumstances and God's working, uh, had arranged to adopt me at birth. And so on that day, 24 years ago, my mom and my dad um, got to go to the hospital and my mom got to catch me. <laughs> Love it. Um, but when you're talking about the issues of the um, just attacks on children or the statistics that are very daunting, uh, for me, that sort of spiritual reality takes on uh, an earthly perspective. Um, we've had service projects that our church has been a part of. We go to orphanages um, in Mexico, in TJ, in the area that I would have been born in, and you and Different people with good intentions and hearts say things like, oh, my gosh, that's so heartbreaking. And, oh, my gosh, I wish I could take one home. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't get lost on me. That that, that was going to be me. Uh, there was nothing in my biological family's path <laughs> that pointed to a bright or hopeful future. Mm -hmm. So uh, when you go to Mexico. When I go to Mexico, maybe that's one of the reasons why... It's sometimes it's, you know, for some of you, it's hard because of the safety. For me, it's hard because of the emotional stuff. When you cross the border and you see little kids selling gum, um, th there's something in the back of my head that goes, well, 
thankful for my mom and my dad. You, 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 you know what your life, what life trajectory could have been. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's a very pointed reality. But um, like the scriptures say, but God, but my mom and dad, mm-hmm. but God through my mom and dad. And I think there's a picture up there. Uh, my dad is all the way to the left. He is one of our elders. And there's my mom. Um, one of the <laughs> coolest things uh, for me, other than the fact that they provided for me very well, uh, food-wise. Um, <laughs> you know when they test, like, to see if the baby can go home? It's be the food and all that, I guess. I, I don't know. I've My mom tells me that the doctors, when they were checking me out, I was drinking milk so fast that the doctor said, no, you're fine. Go home. <laughs> At about four months old, my parents were tired of giving me so much milk that they tried to give me a little bit of water uh, to kind of slow down the growth. Uh, and, um, I threw the bottle at them. That is a story that my grand, my first words were about ice cream. Um, they didn't give me a popsicle. And so those were my first words. I was, your parents were providing for your needs. That's right. Um, they've provided for me in so many ways and, and I could never even begin to pay them back. But one of the things that they've provided for me, the, the, the thing that they provided for me the most was an opportunity for God to reach me. Um, my dad, uh, for Christmas, I get him, you know, Greek interlinear Bibles. My mom reads Spurgeon in the mornings, you know, after coffee, of course, but, um, and that's the family and, God had for you. And that's the family God had for me. And, and I grew up in that. My grandparents read the Bible to me. Uh, I grew up in a home where Jesus was a focus and so when God saw fit, he drew me into himself. And so for me, the doctrines of grace and God getting to people, um, I see that very practically. Yeah. I'm supposed to be somewhere else and yeah. on a completely different path. And Jesus saw fit that those two people would sacrifice so much time and energy and resources. And because of their sacrifice, I got a window into Jesus and Jesus got a hold of me. Yeah, I love it. Yes. Yeah, and I love that, you know, we could have Fred stay up here and, and we all would learn more about, by learning about horizontal adoption, we would get great insight into vertical adoption. But the best thing, you know, he and I have had some great conversations in recent weeks as I've learned about what God has done for us. And I love it, what you just said, that, that in your case, um, you, you now at 24 get to look back and see that your horizontal adoption, that Federico and Sonia coming into your life was very much God's providence and orchestrating and doing whatever he wanted to do so that Fred would come to know Jesus. So Fred's horizontal adoption became a tool for God's vertical adoption of Fred. I love it. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming up here. So we hear the, the great need, and we get firsthand an example of a, a changed life because of adoption. But we know that individually we can't adopt all 100,000 waiting children, right? But the answer to the question I posed a minute ago was, yes, you can make a difference. I can make a difference. We can ask God to start with us, to work through us, to make a difference through me individually, you, and us as a church family collectively. Uh, because look at 
the numbers are daunting in one sense, but look at this graphic. If one family in every three churches in the United States, this is not, not even one family in every church. If one family in every third church in the United States adopted a waiting child, every waiting child in the United States would be adopted. That sounds doable to me. And by the way, you're not off the hook because you know there's a family in this church already adopting. <laughs> but that sounds doable. One family, every third church. And, and uh, it starts with us. It starts with your family. It starts with our church family. Joseph stepped up to be a father. Federico and Sonia Dominguez stepped into Fred's life. And so many of you in our church family um, are also doing the same and uh, fostering, adopting. And so this morning, it's for the rest of us to consider, how does God want you to step into this gap? How might God want to continue to use Paseo del Rey to get in the midst of Satan's war on children? And some of you are going to be adoptive parents, even if you don't know it yet. And some of you are going to be foster parents, even if you don't know it yet. And this is huge. This need is huge. And some of you need to do that as you honor God with your life. I can't go into the details of these. I wish I could, but here's just really quick. I'm going to rattle off 10 reasons you should choose to adopt. I got these from a blog and they just give you just a glimpse of, here we go. 10 reasons you should choose to adopt. Number one, the need is not decreasing. Number two, your heart is big enough. You can do it. Number three, your perspective is too small. Number four, your life needs a little disruption. I give an amen to that one right now. Number five, your family needs it. Number six, you've been given much. John alluded to this last week. We, if we have what we need, is God, using it to share, or is God using us to share it with others? Number seven, the future depends on it. Number eight, we just got done looking at scriptures. You're called to it, to orphan care to ministering to the least of these. Number nine, it could have been you. We just got a firsthand account from Fred. Number 10, reason you, can't, reason you should adopt, because fear can't win. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Why am I up here? Why am I talking all about horizontal adoption? This is not a drive-by guilting. This is not me up here trying to pressure you, because you know what? Because I know that if God calls you to foster or adopt, that he will take away any excuses you may have, and he will give you a proper heart, a proper motivation for doing so. And you know what that'll be? If God puts it on your heart and your life to foster or adopt, the motivation he will give you will be his glory. Because we don't adopt or foster because so I look like a great Christian. Or so what I can do for the, what I could do for these children we adopt or foster because God said so and so that God gets the glory. And that said, I want to be fair. That said, not all of you are called to adopt. Not every one of you will be able to be a foster parent. Not, not all of you can, and that's okay. But, what, but one of the things we're helping us to see in this series is that there are so many ways that God wants to use you our church family, the people of God across the globe. There are so many other ways that God wants to use us to care for the least of these. Last week, I love that John used language of, you know, if it's not a legal adoption, maybe we need to look for ways in our lives to a kindness adoption or adoptive moments. And you can see on the screen, 
the family in the house represents a family who is fostering or adopting. And the circle of people around the house kind of gives you that picture of it takes a village, right? The family in the house is adopting or fostering. And the circle of people around them is family, church family, doing what they can do to make caring for the least of these possible. Because adoption is awesome and God is calling his people to serve the least of these. Um, But I do, another way I want to be, you know, fair and honest is I do want to say as amazing as, as adoption is and as needed as it is, there are costs. There are difficulties. There are challenges. There was a cost for Joseph and his family. Not, not, almost immediately, you know, not long after Joseph stepped up and became an adoptive father, he and his family became refugees, fleeing to Egypt to escape Herod's murderous wrath. And you know what? I'm sure glad Egypt was receiving refugees because that's how God protected the Savior. And so there was cost for Joseph. There was cost. There's costs for my family, not financial. I'll mention that in a minute. But there are costs for my family. As much as I could tell you awesome stories and things that God is doing and ways that we're growing and learning together and healing and restoring as a family, uh, at the same time, there is no question that there has been some significant ups and downs and some significant challenges. I would go as far as to say some desperate times in my house in the last 14 months. So there are potential costs for those of you that step up in the gap of of Satan's war against children. There are potential costs. And every family is different and every kid is different. Every situation is different. I don't know. I don't pretend to know them all. But there are potential costs, emotional costs and physical effort and stress. And think about all that it takes to reorient your life, to reorient everything you do from your little plan for life to God's plan of caring for the least of these. So there are costs. And really quick, I want to mention, sometimes people think the financial cost might be an obstacle. Uh, FYI, for Amy and I, adopting through foster care in San Diego County has cost us pretty much zero. So, so financial cost is not a reason to not adopt. Uh, in fact, they're, they're making it very doable. And I do realize that international adoption, from what I understand, can be very... Um, costly. But another way to help make this happen is money. Those of you that have it can make adoption happen for families that don't have it. Um, There are potential costs. But if the costs, if the costs I just mentioned sound too many or too hard, and they have at times for us, then I want you to hear the words that Jesus said to Paul in 2 Corinthians, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. This is where Amy and I are living for the last 14 months because it's not about our awesome parenting skills. It's about the grace of the Lord Jesus being sufficient for us and about, and about um, his power being made perfect in our weakness. So if you're called Out there, friends, if you're called, the Holy Spirit will empower and strengthen you to love, obey, serve. We could play it safe. We could go down the road. We could go down the path of least resistance. 
and keep our lives flowing along in a comfortable fashion, or we could boldly follow Jesus and trust that he will give you what you need to do what he's called you to do, because he will. All right. So we've talked a lot today about horizontal adoption, adoption on a human level. We've talked a lot today about Joseph and how Joseph uh, of Nazareth models for us a father to the fatherless. Um, so, but in that, as we've talked a lot about horizontal adoption, as we've talked a lot about foster kids and do- kids that need to be adopted, are, those, are they the only ones that need rescuing from the world's pain and sin? <laughs> no, we all need rescuing. We all you and I need rescuing from the pain and sin of this world. As we talked of a couple weeks ago, we were all, those of us in Jesus, we were all children deserving of wrath. Ephesians 2 says that we are dead in our sin and as, and as a result, deserving of God's wrath. But friends, here we are, December 20th. Christmas is a glorious reminder that God himself stepped into the mess stepped into the darkness, stepped into the hurt and the pain. And why did he do that? God himself stepped into the story of the world to bring restoration and healing. And so right into the midst of our mess, right into the midst of our sin, right into the midst of the brokenness, our good father sent the answer, his son, Jesus. And it's through Jesus that we can be adopted into God's family Now I'm not talking about horizontal adoption anymore. Now we're talking about vertical adoption, that you were children of wrath and you can become children of God. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. Because adoption is an act of God that makes us members of his family. And in... We talked a little bit about costs of our horizontal adoptions, but you want to talk about cost. Let's consider the cost of our vertical adoption. Look with me on the screen at Galatians 4 again, this passage we've been going back to. Sorry, one more, Galatians 4. Let's look at the cost of our vertical adoption. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, Merry Christmas, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem To redeem means to obtain or to set free by paying a price. How did God redeem you? What was the price that God paid for our rescue? What was the price that God paid so that we might be set free and adopted into his family? The Bible in so many places tells us, including here in Ephesians, that in love, God predestined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In Jesus, we have been redeemed. How? Through his blood. God's loving, rescuing, adoptive journey, his adoption plan for you included Jesus covering the cost by giving his life. The cost of your adoption into the family of God was paid on the cross. Jesus shed his blood. He died for you because you are a planned for, longed for, wanted, chosen son or daughter. And and he's paid the price for you. 
And so I pray that if you haven't received the gift of salvation in Christ, that today I pray that you would put your trust in him and receive adoption as a son or daughter and become part of God's family. Would you stand? I would like to pray for us. And we're going to continue to worship Jesus through music and through our giving. In a moment, the ushers will come and just want to remind you that we're going to have two offering plates go by you. The first offering plate is our ongoing ministry here. And the second one is for us to help a new church spread the good news of Jesus. So you can give there. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, help us to know you for who you are as loving Heavenly Father, as imperfect or as absent as our earthly fathers may have been. God, show us Uh, your perfect lovingness as Father. And God, we thank you that you are a God who has come near, that in Christ came to live among us. And so, God, we are so thankful that you are with us because when it comes to the things of this world that get us down and distract us, when it comes to Satan and his plots against children, God, we thank you that you are with us and we ask you to help us put away fear and trust in you. When it comes to us and our role of stepping up into the gap for children, God, help us to put away our excuses and to put fear aside. And God, we know there may be costs for us, but more, we know that there was a huge cost for you. And so we are so thankful that you sent forth your son. And we are so thankful for the cross. And thank you, Lord that your son Jesus did not stay dead, but rose to victorious life so that we might have life in you. Thank you, Father, for making it possible for us to go from darkness to light, from death to life, from orphaned to adopted. We thank you in the name of Jesus that casts out all fear. Amen.